0: So I have to ask the question that Alex asked a minute ago. Um, well, first of all, how many of you, does anyone need a Bible here this morning? We're going to be opening to God's word in just a minute. If you need a Bible, we have some Bibles we'd love to give to you. Uh, please feel free. Just lift your hand. And I need, I need to ask the question that Alex asked a minute ago and, and see if everyone answered it correctly. How many of you are here for the first time? Yeah, I I thought so. I thought so. Um, it occurred to me. It occurred to me that the question had to be rephrased somehow. But uh, uh, we'll we'll work that out. If you are uh, a guest here, worshiping, I don't even know how to ask the question. But uh, if you're not a member of Covenant Fellowship who's come over here to be a part of Risen Hope Church, and this is your here to visit with us at Risen Hope Church for the first time. <laughs> all right, raise your hand. All right, there you go. It is it is great, great to have you all with us today. And and again, my name is Tim Shorey. I'm, I am an elder at Covenant Fellowship Church. The elders there have asked me to be the lead pastor here on this campus in Risen Hope Church, uh, and it has been uh, a joy just to build toward this moment. Uh, my wife Gaylene and I moved into this area from New Jersey uh, four years ago after serving for 30 years as a pastor in Toms River, New Jersey, uh, and have been living now uh, in Havertown, just two and a half miles from here, uh, part of the community, part of the neighborhood, and so grateful uh, for the opportunity to serve. God together with all of you. So one of my privileges is to open up God's word and teach it and preach it. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's page 658 in the Bible you were just handed, if that helps. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse... One. And for those of you who don't know me, I don't know how to put this delicately, but I, uh, heat affects me. I perspire a lot. I, I, I don't know what to do about that, never figured it out, but I have my own personal fan here. Uh, it's not because I'm being selfish, because uh, I know you'd all like one right now. Uh, it's just for my survival up here <laughs> on the platform. So, so please, please indulge that for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, I pray that by your Spirit, you will make Jesus known to us this morning, that you will deepen our love for Christ, our trust in Christ, our commitment to Christ, our joy in Christ. Father, come and meet us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. This is this is actually the second time that I've had the privilege of starting a church. Thirty-three and a half years ago, I stepped behind a New Jersey pulpit for the first time, and there were 11 people present, uh, which would be one row in this building here today. Uh, There's a lot different this time around, as I look out and see all of you here. Uh, Much has changed in those last 33 or 34 years. I am much grayer, I am much thicker, I am much stiffer, I am much slower. Uh, this time around or that time around I had no plan I had no partnership I had no team around me I was a perfect stranger in the midst of those 11 people they were desperate for a pastor which is the only explanation as to why they hired a 23 year old who was just out of Bible college Uh, it it was just a strange set of circumstances very different from today and yet there are there is one thing that is the same, and that is this. My first Sunday in preaching in that church 33 and a half years ago, I chose this text as my text. I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It seems to me that a return to this text is fitting for this morning as we begin our new life together as Risen Hope Church. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what it's all about. This is why we are here. And it's not just something I have decided. It is what we have decided. We have decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our vision statement, again, worshiping God, and welcoming all with gospel truth and neighbor love. This is the gospel truth. Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what we are going to be about. This is what's going to mark everything about us. All our songs, all our preaching, all our teaching, all our children's ministry, all our outreach, all our community connections and outreach. It's going to be about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. I know that that probably sounds a bit cliched. And if you're anything like me, Uh, As soon as you smell anything that's at all like a cliche, you want to hold your nose. I hate cliches. I hate platitudes. I hate quaint little sayings. But this is not a cliche. This is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a guest, please know this about us. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us and then rose from the dead for our eternal life. Church life and mission must always be about the saving work of Jesus Christ. Church life and mission must always, always, always be about Jesus Christ and his saving work. Church is not primarily about the work that we do for God. Church is primarily about the work that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And to make church and life about anything else is to miss the whole point. And quite frankly, it's, it's to take away our only reason to exist as a church. A church that is not about Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen might as well be a government agency, might as well be a social club, whatever else a church may do, however else a church may serve. Whatever else a, a church may accomplish, if it is not about the saving work of Jesus Christ, it has given up its reason for existence. We exist for this reason, to proclaim Jesus and Him crucified. Now, you may, you may wonder here this morning why that matters so much to us. Why? 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 Let me ask you this question: Have have you ever felt guilty? Just plain guilt. I ask the question nowadays. You almost have to ask the question because we've become really, really skilled at denial. We've we've become really skilled at masking guilt. And we we use euphemisms and other phrases to kind of hide from the G word. You know, like the, the college coach I read about this week, he was caught on national TV cursing out one of his college players in a way over the top kind of way. And later on, he was asked about that. And his description of what he felt about it was this, I don't feel good about it. I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to say there. I don't feel good about it. That sounds to me like a man desperately trying to avoid the G word. Desperately trying to avoid saying, I was wrong. And instead trying to mask it. I don't feel good. We do this really well. So we say things, I don't feel good about myself. I don't like myself when I say things like that. I'm not really proud of what I did. I have my regrets. I wish I could have a do over. Everybody makes mistakes. But, ladies and gentlemen, all of those softer sounding, lighter on the conscience feeling phrases really do is just mask our guilt. They try to hide our guilt. Down deep, we know we're guilty. Down deep, we know we've done things wrong. Down deep, we know that the feelings of guilt that we have are because of the reality of guilt. We are guilty. And and the fact that every human being feels it, every one of you in this room has felt it, you have dealt with it, guilt. The fact that all of us, I can't move away from the mic, the fact that all of us (laughs) experience that. Indicates to us that we live in a moral universe. We live in a universe that, that the Creator has established a moral code in. There is right and there is wrong, and 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 God has set it in our hearts that there is right and there is wrong. And and when we feel guilt over doing wrong, it's because we are wrong. And we are, we are standing on the opposite side of the law of God. We're standing on the opposite side of the moral code of God. And that introduces us to our biggest need. Our biggest problem is our guilt. Our biggest need is forgiveness. Our biggest problem is our sin. Our biggest need is for the mercy and pardon and acceptance and forgiveness of God and that's why this text is relevant Jesus Christ and him crucified is the answer to your guilt and mine let me let me show you that from the text this morning let me let me give you a little background here the man who wrote 1 Corinthians was a Jewish Christian by the name of Paul a very early a Christian he did life and ministry in the same morally violated universe that we occupy, and so he he had to decide what he was going to do about it and In verse two, we see that he says, I decided I decided to know nothing among you' except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The, the word that Paul uses in the Greek language that he wrote in way back then means that he came to a settled, conscious, studied, informed resolution. It wasn't just a whim. It, just, it wasn't just, oh, let me try this. No, he thought about it. He reasoned about it. He decided. This was a decisive, defining moment in his life. Folks, there are times that call for decisiveness. For example, when it comes to food there are times when decisiveness is in order. Mushrooms turnips tapioca pudding time to be decisive just say no. Just say no. On the other hand Steak, medium-rare, juicy, mountain, no mushrooms, mountain of mashed potatoes that looks something like a volcano erupting with butter, (laughs) lava just flowing everywhere, and a massive bowl of ice cream at the end. And it is time to be decisive. Yes, yes. Yes, there are, there are moments for decisiveness. We, we tend to do this with our sports allegiances. We tend to do this with our music styles, with our clothing tastes. But strangely, not so much when it comes to spiritual things. Isn't it strange that in that part of our lives, which is of most importance, that which is of ultimate significance, we grow wishy-washy all of a sudden. We flip-flop over. We do it in terms of our decision, whether or not we're going to follow Christ and, and take God seriously and love him with all of our hearts and churches tend to get flip-floppy, and they tend to become indecisive. What do we do? How do we reach our community? How do we reach the world? How do we make a difference in this world? Paul was decisive. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not whimsical, not faddish, not trendy, not casual. Paul didn't pull out the latest marketing studies and say, well, maybe if we try this, we can grow the church or try that. We can grow the church. He said, no, no plan B. We just got one plan. One plan. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me me help you see the context and the exact meaning of his decision. First of all, the context for it. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians in verse 23. Just to get a little historical context, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. Paul is, Paul is describing the cultural context for his ministry. And he's saying to one group of people what we preach Jesus Christ and the cross is a stumbling block. That means these people are offended by it. It's a scandalous Thing. The idea of a crucified Messiah, a Savior on a cross, God in a body, bloodied and naked on a tree, that was more than what the Jewish people of his day could take. That was, that was not PC, that was not cool, that was not accepted, that was not even decent. It was scandalous. They were ready for a moral crusade. Everybody's ready for a moral crusade. They, they were ready to, for power politics. People love power politics. But they were, they were ready for a societal revolution. They were ready for a savior who would come and, and kill and destroy all the enemies of Israel and make Israel great again, but they had no use for a bloodied savior. That was what Paul was up against. Or then he says the Gentiles, which by the way includes everybody else but the Jews, That's all of us, for them, Paul says, the message of the Christ crucified was folly. It was silly. It was foolish. It was nonsense. It wasn't sophisticated. It didn't meet up with the elitist standards of society. It's amazing how similar to our days it is. Yeah, We've got the smug elitist who... Who think it's somehow or other, if you take God seriously and his word seriously, and Jesus seriously and the cross seriously, you're you're a fool. You're stuck somewhere in the distant past. Paul was up against this, so are we. Cultural opposition. Paul was also up against personal weakness. Did you did you notice it in verse 3 of chapter 2? He says, "When I was I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling." How's that for a pastoral resume? Paul, Paul sends in his resume. "I'm weak. I'm fearful. I'm afraid." Reminds me of when I was in Bible college. I had a hard time with two things in Bible college. Training to be a pastor, I had no I, I hated public speaking and I had a hard time talking to people. <laughs> There's my resume. Doesn't like to speak in front of people, doesn't like to talk to people, ready to be a pastor. You know it, it. Paul says I came in weakness. I came in fear. This I think was not a fear of man. Paul was He lived this kind of fearless, take on all comers kind of ministry, but I think it was a reverent, holy fear of God. What he was afraid of was speaking error, speaking that which wasn't true, that which wasn't faithful to God and His Word. But he came in weakness. I know the feeling. I'm an old guy, I got issues. I've got sins, I've got frailties, I've got weaknesses, I've got limitations. I can't save anyone, I can't change anyone, I can't fix anyone, I can't fix anything. And all of you are exactly the same as I am. We are weak and frail. That's the context, cultural opposition, personal weakness. Now what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Who is sufficient for these things? What is sufficient for these things? Paul would say, I know the answer. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Stick with the message. Stick with the gospel. Stick with Jesus. Let's, let's take a look at this decision. Let's. What exactly did he decide? Well, there's, there's really two parts to it. There's, there's kind of a negative part where he decided not to do certain things. And then there's the positive part, what he decided to do. The negative is, he says, I... I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. So what was the nothing he was talking about? Well, if you look around in verse 1, he talks about lofty speech and wisdom. In verse 4, he talks about plausible words of wisdom and the wisdom of men in verse 5. What he's talking about here is that he decided that in his ministry... And in his witness, he was not going to depend on his speech or on his wisdom or on his eloquence or on his skill or on his crafting of words to make them impressive and and to make them winsome and to make them somehow or other just please people and affect people. He said, I will know none of that. I'm committed to a simple, direct communication of the truth. I will not know this. Now, Paul wasn't saying that he was putting away all beauty and eloquence. If, if that were the case, you'd have to rip Romans chapter 8 out of the Bible. You'd have to rip Ephesians 1 out of the Bible. You'd have to rip page after page out of the Bible, which is full of eloquence and beauty and, and wonder and majesty. Paul's not saying we renounce the beautiful. Or the eloquent, he's saying we renounce dependence on these things and use of these things that in any way masks or hides the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. We're going to give it to people straight. Now what is it that we give to people? I've decided, Paul says, to know nothing Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me let me unpack those five words for you: Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus, I gotta move. Jesus, that's the name given to our Lord by the Father at His birth. His name shall be called. Jesus, for He will, what? Save His people from their sins. The name means deliverer, rescuer, Savior. He came into the world to save sinners of whom we all are chief. His name is Jesus. I've determined, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus, Savior. Jesus Christ Christ. That's from a Greek word that copies or reflects a Hebrew word for Messiah. And it means anointed one. We use the word sometimes in our own culture today, when somebody comes along, an athlete, a musician, a politician, somebody comes along who just seems to have an extraordinary, almost out of this world, capacity and gifting and influence, and and sometimes we say, uh, he seems to be an anointed one. Well, uh, Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God. The one that God has anointed to speak for Him as prophet, the one whom God has anointed to be priest, so that He could bring us to God through the, His death on the cross, the one whom God has anointed to be King, to to rule and reign, King of kings and Lord of lords, until. Every enemy is made his footstool, and all things are brought back into reconciliation with God. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. Paul says, This is what I'm going to preach. Nothing else. Jesus, Savior, Christ, Anointed One of God, to speak for God, to bring us to God, to rule us for God. Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Now here's where mystery sets in. Because who thinks of a savior who's dead? Who thinks of a deliverer who's killed? Paul says, this is what I'm preaching. I'm I'm preaching Jesus Christ killed. Jesus Christ killed. Crucified. His ministry strategy was to preach about the death of somebody. As God's anointed king and savior deliverer, Jesus did not come to conquer, he came to die. Jesus did not come to kill, but to be killed. He did not come to put others to death. He came to be put to death by others and for others. He came to suffer. He came to die for sinners. We who believe in Jesus love to talk about and think about and sing about and share about Jesus Christ crucified. And if you're new to all of this, that will strike you as strange. weird, isn't it? These people like talking and singing about a cross. Isn't that like talking and singing about gallows or an electric chair? Because that is what the cross was, folks, in the days of the New Testament. It was the equivalent of a gallows. It was the equivalent of an electric chair. It was a symbol of execution. It was a symbol of death. You don't see people, not too many people that I know of, we're sitting around singing about a gallows somewhere, and yet this morning you you've been singing about the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? What's that all about? Well, it brings us all the way back to where we started—that thing about guilt. What if I told you that Him crucified is the answer to your guilt? Him crucified is God's way of removing your guilt, wiping out your debt, making you clean, treating you as if you've never, ever been guilty in your life. What if I told you that the blood and death of Jesus Christ was your salvation, your hope, your forgiveness, your acceptance with God? Then you'd know why we sing then you would know why this matters. This church is committed to worshiping God and welcoming all with gospel truth. And this is the truth of the gospel right here. This is it. God made you and God made me. And he made us to enjoy him and be with him forever and ever. God is holy, perfectly holy, never sinned, never done anything wrong. He's so holy that he hates sin. He can't have it in his presence, can't have it in his sight. He's so holy that when he made the universe, he established a moral code, and that code was to be followed. And and part of the code was that if you violated the code, there's a punishment. There's death. Sin has to be punished if God is holy. It just has to be that way. You can't be holy and make believe sin doesn't exist. And just kind of say, eh, no big deal. Now, to a holy God, it is a very big deal. God made us and God is holy and God has established a law for us to believe and obey and everyone in this room has violated that law over and over and over and over and over again. Sometimes in ignorance, sometimes in defiance. Sometimes without knowing better, sometimes knowing full well what we were doing we have violated the code and the debt that that brings hangs over our head. Every human being is born in sin and lives for sin. No exceptions, except Jesus. Way back before time began, God the Father and God the Son, as they planned out the creation of the universe and the creation of all human beings. And they looked ahead and they saw our rebellion, they saw our sin, and they knew that that sin would have to be punished. The Father and the Son spoke with each other. What are we going to do? How do we forgive sinners? How do we enjoy sinners, love sinners, welcome them into our presence Now that they are sinners. And the son said, Father, I will give myself for sinners, I will become a human being like them. And I will offer myself as a sinless sacrifice to bear the punishment, to bear the wrath, to bear the fury that their sins deserve. I'll take it all in myself. I'll bear it all, Father, so that you can be holy and just in punishing sin without punishing the sinner. And the Father and the Son agreed to this plan of redemption. And about 2,000 years ago, in a little baby's body, the eternal Son of God became one of us. And he lived a perfect life, all with one primary goal in mind: that he could die a substitutionary, sacrificial death in our place. The code demanded it. Sin has happened; sin must be punished. God's love demanded it. I love sinners. I don't want to condemn them to hell. I want them with me forever. And so God the Father and God the Son conceived this astonishing covenant and plan of redemption and salvation. And the Son came and bore our sins in His body on the cross. That's why Paul says, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Him crucified. Someone's saying, but didn't you say a little bit ago that he was king and forever king? Yeah, because he's Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And risen. That's why, that's that's next week's sermon. But uh, he's risen. He's risen. That's why we are Risen Hope Church. Because in Christ, sin has been punished. Death has been conquered. Hope is reborn. Hope of forgiveness and mercy and pardon. All because of what He has done for us. Paul says, this is the message I preach. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell people about how Jesus loves them. I'm going to tell people about how Jesus died for their sins. I'm going to tell people about how He took the punishment they deserve. I'm going to tell people about how He hung on a cross to bleed out and die as a sacrifice to cover their guilt. I'm going to tell people that they can be saved from the guilt and grip of their sin if they repent of it and trust in Jesus alone for their forgiveness and for their eternal life. I'm going to tell them about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's what this church is going to be about. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And risen. And reigning. Forever. And ever. And ever. And so as I close you who are new friends and guests here this morning you may be wondering are you telling me that all I'm ever going to hear here week after week is the same story of Jesus dying for my sin and all that stuff well yes and no yes and no you are always going to hear about Jesus dying for your sin and being raised from the dead But you're going to hear more. You're going to to hear about family and life and work and racial understanding and reconciliation and unity and forgiveness and hope and peace and comfort in trial and overcoming sin and bad habits and all of that. But here's what's going to be different from what you might hear from your local psychiatrist or wherever. All that you hear is going to be in the context of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We are all sinners. We all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. None of us in His own strength or goodness, none of us in her own morality or virtue can earn our way to God. Jesus earns our way to God. Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, we have decided, as a church, as Risen Hope Church, the, those who have started this work together here in, I just lost my brain here, here in Drexel Hill. <laughs> we have decided to be here because we have this message God loves sinners like you and me and God in the person of his son Jesus came here to earth to redeem sinners like you and me and God invites us all as sinners to repent of our sins turn in faith to Christ and be forgiven of every sin past, present and future and then enjoy him forever and ever and ever. That is the gospel. That's what this church is going to be about. That is the gospel. And may it be that as that gospel is preached week after week, many will come to know him, and many more will come to know him better and better. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, would you please come, and would you please minister grace and salvation to our hearts And plant within us, O Lord, a love for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.